This is an ABC podcast. On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Working night to works nine to five. Maybe you leave the office at five, but you certainly don't stop working. The days are nine to five and businesses shutting at midday on a Saturday, closed on a Sunday. They are simply a part of history and no longer a reality. So when it comes to the so-called right to disconnect, how do you put the genie back in the bottle? And if a law was passed so that we had the right to disconnect... Who is it going to serve? How is it going to work? And could it actually work against us and be the end of flexible work? Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning, Kirsten Tiprose, joining you from the lovely ABC Ballarat. Kirsten, when we talk about the right to disconnect, is it just a good headline? I mean, what does it actually mean? It's a great conversation and one that I think we need to have, but it's making people react in a whole lot of varied ways. I think for employers, there's fear, you know, that there could be criminal charges. But then I think for other people, it's they're thinking, well, this is about time because... Yeah, we are contactable 24-7, but I don't know about you. I don't work nine to five. I couldn't even tell you the hours that I work. I work when I can, in between things. Uh, I work full time, but certainly not nine to five. And that's the thing when we look at flexible work, and that's if there was one silver lining of what COVID taught us, is that we can do things differently. The days of having to do your work in the office, if you have an office job, that is, and that's where it starts to get murky. And I know we'll go into the world of agriculture and farming today and the social called right to disconnect in that sector but we have a certain flexibility now but that may mean logging on later at night or for me for example I get up you know it's sparrows it's still pitch black outside and I do a heap of work before I come in so that I have that flexibility but there is no doubt that something needs to to change. I don't know about you, but everyone I know, myself included, either feels burnt out or on the verge of burning out. And I think Mm. a lot of that has got to do with the fact that we are kind of all working 24-7 and yet we only have four weeks a year annual leave. So maybe the right to disconnect isn't as simple as your boss can't contact you after five o'clock or after seven o'clock or whatever you agree to, maybe the right to disconnect should just be the beginning of a conversation of how do we all not work so much and how do we find time out and how do we work that into our daily and weekly working lives? So maybe it's a bigger conversation. And even work, as in, yes, there's the paid stuff, but all of the life admin work that now falls back on us, you have to be signed up to every app under the sun, whether it's for your kids' sport, their school, even if it's just booking flights or whatever, just doing your life stuff, that's now all falling back on us. Employers often make us do it too, all of the admin, whereas before we used to have assistants or people who did that. And just in life in general, you know, you you book and arrange and organize everything rather than getting someone to help you like you would have and I just feel like there's not only paid work but that life work that has fallen into our hands as well. 
the busier we get. So what does the right to disconnect look like? What does it mean to you as an employee, as an employer? Is it reasonable to say you can't contact me after a certain hour? What if your colleague says, yes, you can? Does it mean that you miss out on potential promotional opportunities, that you're seen as someone that doesn't work as hard as other people? Or do we need to rethink everything from how much annual leave we get per year? Is four weeks not enough if we're all logged on 24-7? So do you want the right to disconnect? How would it work and would you actually ignore a call from your boss after hours? Cause you're working for the man. You're working for the man. You gotta make it man. Good morning, Michelle Hunt and Kirsten Diprose with you as we try and figure out what the right to disconnect actually means. What does it look like? And it sort of felt like this was an idea, that this was a law that came out of nowhere and that a lot of the small print wasn't actually read. Brett Worthington is the ABC political reporter. He's in Canberra. Brett, can you actually give us an overview of the likelihood of this going ahead? And I guess first things first, it sort of came from nowhere and then everyone said yes, but then people said, oh, hang on a second. There's all these clauses in here that now we don't agree with. It feels a little bit rushed and confusing. Yeah, I think it's one that's definitely popped up because the government essentially needed the Greens to get on board in order to pass the next phase of industrial relations changes that the government wanted to get through. When If you look at this in a purely uh, political lens to begin with, for the government to pass any legislation, uh, if the coalition is opposing, which the coalition absolutely has uh, when it comes to industrial relations changes, the government absolutely needs the Greens before it even begins talking to the broader crossbench. And so as part of these negotiations, the Greens wanted uh, this right to disconnect inserted into into the changes. The government said it had been looking at it, but that's why there is this sense that it was quite rushed because in the end what happened and what has passed is already going to have to be amended uh, in, in the weeks to, weeks to come. What we um, see here is that essentially what it does is mm. it takes an employee, employee and they can say, it's unreasonable for you to be expecting me to respond to a work email, to be taking a work call, to be, if you're a teacher, taking a call from parents outside of my paid work hours, provided there's no caveat. Now, if you're a higher if higher paid individual and it may, you've got this right to reasonable overtime as part of your contract, then you're likely not going to be affected by uh, the orders that are, that are coming The right to reasonable here. overtime, even that's loaded, isn't it? And, so, and that's where these words like what is unreasonable work yeah. and what is reasonable work is ones that will be thrashed out likely uh, within a body like the Fair Work Commission. So the way this essentially will work is you as uh, the employee need to say it is unreasonable that my boss is expecting me to respond to this at this time. You would then have to go to the Fair Work Commission and make your case to the Fair Work Commission if the Fair Work Commission was to agree with you, they could say uh, to your employer, stop um, putting in place uh, an expectation that this person needs to respond. Now, you can send the email at 10 o'clock at night because maybe you're the boss and that's just the way it works in terms of how you work your, your day. You do a lot of emails at 10 o'clock, but you cannot expect that your employee will write mm. back. If you then continue to put that expectation in or you seek to punish an employee for not uh, looking to engage at that time, then the employee would have to go back to the Fair Work Commission and then uh, we're getting into the territory of where the employer could could start to get into trouble. Where the issue exists here, the way the laws passed last week, um, which have now been adopted by the House of Representatives and are headed to the Governor-General to be signed into law, there is a criminal penalty associated with 
an employer that that breaches um, being told not to to make this contact outside of hours. That will be changed. The Greens have already said they will back the changing of that. It'll move to a civil penalty. Um, So, you know, we're not talking about locking up or jailing Mm. bosses potentially for, for egregious breaches. But there is that fear, though, isn't there? And certainly Peter Dutton, the opposition leader, is really, I suppose, utilising that fear. Yeah, so the so the coalition is saying it would look to walk this back. Should it um, get into should it get into government at, at the next election? It set up this fascinating political situation that we found ourselves in. Now you might remember uh, at the twenty nineteen election, the coalition was accusing Labor of declaring a war on the weekend because uh, Labor was putting forward um, policies to do with electric vehicles and fuel emission fuel standards. Now Labor in government is accusing. Um, the opposition of declaring a war on the weekend because the, the <laughs> Labor's campaign says, well, your boss is trying to contact you at the weekend and the coalition thinks that's fine. That's where it's getting a, a little bit silly. Um, <laughs> a war uh, on the weekend. The but, but I mean, that's a, a good point, though, because can you legislate this sort of stuff? Yeah. Like when we start getting into the nitty gritty of our lives and what hours And we how do, different they are. Right? Yes. Everyone's different. You can't, well, you know, do we have to go to the toilet at 7am? Like, at what point do you draw the line? Yeah, I think that where uh, the instance here is, like, this is breaking down to how, what are you, what are the conditions in which you're being employed under? And yes, largely thanks to COVID, the, the huge disruption that we've seen in workforces in terms of how we work and when we work has absolutely changed. And you've seen the way in which work from home has grown and then now this push to get people back into offices. I think that the the, the where that this has really come from is there is this sense within um, workers that they are having to be on the clock all the time mm. and they are doing work that they're not being paid for. And in, in some cases, you know, double the amount of work, but they're getting paid for half, for just half of, of those hours that they're clocked on. I think there, there's a broader point here where it's also about, even if it's not that a person goes through the fair work process, is it about sending a message to business communities? Is it about sending a reminder to workplaces yeah. that there is a right for an employee to check out? And it's probably better for your productivity if people do feel they can take a break from it and rest and then be recharged when they come back in rather than feeling like when they left until when they came back in the next day. They've been in this this mindset of essentially working even when they're not being paid to work. And this is where when you start to pull this apart, right, it is so nuanced because there's also that thing that we have, I don't know if it's global or if it's Australian, but the busier you are and the more stressed you are and the harder that you work, then maybe the more successful you are. And there's almost, people almost congratulate you and that is starting to shift. So I wonder whether, if nothing else, what this will do is make people stop and think. There's so many texts on this. And, Brett, I know you mentioned teachers already. And I know a lot of people were saying, well, it's all well and good for teachers. And if this gets legislated, however, what are you going to tell parents? And are parents actually going to abide by this? And lots of people saying, so maybe losing those days in history with Saturday afternoon and Sunday off wasn't such a good thing for our health and social life and our community. Life. Just finally, Brett Worthington, do you think it will make a difference? I mean, as journos, it's very different for us. You know, we're kind of monitoring things constantly and we're trying to keep on top of stuff. But if you led a different life, you know, you've lived, lived in all different parts of regional Victoria. If you worked at inverted commas, normal job, would you want to be contacted by your, your boss after hours? I think I've definitely worked in, in places where I had have bosses that contact you at, at 10 o'clock at night, but I had the, I knew as the employee that I wasn't expected to write back at that time. And I think that 
part of this is that the government's having to say, look, it's okay for your employer to reach out to you. You know, in emergency, they need to fill shifts. That is okay for your employer to contact you to make a request. And it's also okay for your boss to email you at 10 o'clock at night. But you don't have an obligation to respond to that at 10 o'clock at night. And it's about the boss setting that that you know, that culture within an office that says, mm. I am going to, you might get an email from me at 10 o'clock because that's Ignore just the way it. it works in my life. But yeah. it's okay. I do not expect you to write back yeah. until the next day. And if it is an emergency, that is different to what we're talking about where there's routine business happening uh, at all hours and, and times of the day. I know I've had that conversation with my team members because it's how I work. I say, if you get an email from me, don't you don't need to respond to that. And unless, you know, you, app, you call and something's gone completely pear-shaped, then that's something you need to address. Brett, thanks so much. We appreciate your time. Lovely chatting. See ya. Brett Worthington, ABC political reporter in Canberra. Kirsten Dipro, so many texts on this. This, it says, great topic. As a teacher in an independent school, it amazes me that people comment on our so-called extended holidays. However, we teach all day, multiple classes and subjects with little break. All of our preparation to teach has to happen outside of teaching hours. We're also doing our admin and our communication with students and families. How to remedy question mark, question mark. Yeah, it's a good point. My mum was a teacher and I saw her working a lot uh, in outside hours and in holidays. Chris is in Main Ridge. Hi, Chris. How are you? Good. What do you want to say? Uh, I think there's a lot of fear-mongering going on here. Um, the idea from, from what I see is to stop those employers who think that they own your soul for uh, your weekly weekly wage Um and there's certainly occupations that people need to be contactable mm-hmm. and whatever, um, whether they're doctors, solicitors or whatever it is. Um, and I worked for, for a company that paid uh, an after-hours allowance for you to be available if required. So <clears throat> I don't think there's any demonic mm. um, consequences. Yeah, get, getting for, a wage for being on call, that doesn't really happen anymore, does it? Well, not so much a wage, it was just an allowance. Um, well, a lot of managers will have written as part of their contract, you know, and Brett mentioned it before, that term reasonable overtime, like that idea. If you're on a higher salary, it's sort of expected that you will do reasonable overtime that, you know, and, and you know, we'll talk about agriculture more, but if you're managing a property and you live there, you know, if the sheep get out at 9pm, <laughs> you have to go get the sheep, right? Absolutely. And that's just part of the, the gig, and and that should and that's sort of written into the contract and and hopefully if you've got a good employer there's give and take and and it's all fine. But Chris, do you think you can legislate this sort of thing? Like, because I think you're right in that we we do need to protect those people. I think back to when I was first at you know first in the work workplace, and you don't know if your boss says do something, you just do it. Yeah, but well, there are some bosses, believe it or not, who have a real Dickensian idea of what you're working for them actually means what rights that they mm. have. So um, ultimately it's just a protection to, to say to them, if it does go to the fair work choice thing, whatever it is, um, don't do it anymore. Yeah. And they only get the trouble if things. they keep doing it. Yeah. So I don't see what the issue is. I think the things that you mentioned there, Chris, and that's what Brett touched on as well, is culture. You know, how do we change this work culture that we have? And as Chris said too, that if the idea that if you work some for someone then... 
they have a little part of your soul, you know, right? Like I own <laughs> you, so you have to do what I, you know, what I ask and what's expected of you. There's a text here. It says from a stroppy old woman who I love. I feel like I'm a stroppy old woman now too. And it says, I certainly do ignore calls. Bosses can repeatedly call and sound urgent to get you after hours response. I just ignore them now. So what is a right to disconnect? What does it actually mean? What does it look like? And how would it work? Rochelle Hunt and Kirsten Diprose with you. I'm in Melbourne. Kirsten joining you from our ABC Ballarat studios as we look at the right to disconnect. Even the the term, I sort of feel like it's a snappy headline, right? But what does it really mean? What's the reality of it? Are you actually going to tell your boss off or say no when you know that other people aren't and we're already in WhatsApp groups with all of our colleagues? Are you going to look like the one that never answers back? I just, I, I don't want to be, I don't know, I roll my eyes. I, I roll my eyes at a lot of this. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just like the stroppy old woman, like the text. But I think you, you can take some control yourself and have some boundaries. Like a simple one with email is have a work email. So if your boss emails you at 10, that's fine. You're not going to get it until you open your email at the time that suits you. Obviously, the boss would have your number and hopefully if it was some emergency where you needed to be somewhere or do something. But for the most part, if it's just an email, something needs to get done or because it's on them because they left it. I think that's what Mm. really annoys people is when you're bearing the brunt of someone else being kind of behind the eight ball, then you can use that. And there are plenty of platforms that you can work asynchronously. And I do this in my job is I work asynchronously. So I'll jump on, do something, send the task to that person. I don't even know what that means, let alone do it. (laughs) As if, Rochelle, we do it all the time. It just means that, you know, I jump in and work when I like and I leave a directive and that that person jumps in and does it when they like too. Yeah, that's and it, it. Yeah, and we're not annoying each other. It's it's fine. There are boundaries you can put up that can help in those situations. And if this does have an impact on flexible work, I wonder whether this, dare I say, does this become a gendered conversation as well? This, if you're expected to be available at the whim of a manager, then the employee must be paid for the time overworked with all of the penalties applied. John Hopkins is an Associate Professor of Management at Swinburne University. John, when you first first heard the term, well, we are going to legislate the right to disconnect, what was your initial response. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, Look, I I first heard this term maybe seven years or so ago when when France introduced it or when they first started discussing it. And um, I was interested in learning more about what it it meant and what it does mean. I think it it is important. And I think what's happened over the last 15 to 20 years, the way that technology has become a, a real part of our lives, you know, we carry our mobile phones around with us and 24 seven and ever since we've had smartphones and the ability Mm. for our bosses to contact us conveniently send us an email at any time or send us an sms or whatsapp message or whatever it might be the technology has enabled it but not only that it's become acceptable to do it so there are things that you know as as you've both alluded to there are things that the sender can do and there are things that the receiver can do to control this but what the um the right to disconnect laws do is give bosses a guidelines about what is acceptable and what isn't. 
It's a tricky one for, I think, the gig economy as well. How would this play out in, in those scenarios? We know that some, the, you know, the people who work in the gig economy can really often be the most disadvantaged when it comes to those IR laws. Yeah, look, it, it applies differently to different types of roles and uh, obviously different professions. What I would say is um, the guidelines that have been put in place, they do allow for what's called reasonable circumstances. So as you mentioned in, with your callers, you know, if there is an emergency, if something really needs to happen, I don't even think employees mind being contacted in those situations. But it's when there's regular contact happening all the time that's of a more trivial mm. nature. I think that's what this law is is hopefully trying to eradicate. And you mentioned before about it, it doesn't necessarily even punish the boss in this instance, which does happen in other countries. But what it does give is the the uh, the receiver, the employee, a right to not reply. But I would say it, it, it's a guideline and it really needs to be taken a step further. And hopefully it encourages that boss not to send those emails late at night if it isn't urgent. And there are, with, with things like Microsoft Outlook, there's a function on there called delay delivery, yeah. which means you can write it at midnight, you can press delay delivery, and it doesn't, it's not received until 9 a.m. the next day. And there's yeah. no excuse for a boss not to use that if it isn't urgent. I've got a friend of mine who is a manager and she does that because she wants to make sure the culture is that, you know, you work within work hours, but she's also a mum who juggles kids and farming life and her position. So she'll be there at nine o'clock doing work, but she schedules them to go out at 9am. Yeah. There's lots of texts saying even in the entry level in science, for example, there's reasonable overtime written into contracts, but it's ill-defined, says David in Hopper's Crossing. And this I love. Back in the 80s, we didn't have mobile phones. We had pages that kept bosses beeping to check our on-field <laughs> staff and our whereabouts. I had a pager. I felt so cool when I hooked that onto my belt. And this is from Patrick. It said, I straight up took work emails off my phone. Is it a case of trying to put the genie back in the bottle? I mean, it's been called everything on the war on the weekend, but what weekend traffic is worse than midweek traffic now? We've all got smartphones is it ever really going to change unless we change culture from the right from the very top all the way down? Do you think, John? Look, I think we do need to change culture. I think I, I'm not saying that this is a perfect system and a perfect law, but I think it will reduce the level of contact that happens. I think I think you're exactly right. You know, it, it's ingrained in our DNA now. We, you know, we have these devices with us 24/7, and quite often. The, the device we carry around has our work email on and has our own personal um, you know, apps on as well. It's always a good idea if you can to keep those separate. You know, if you have your work emails on a work phone or a work laptop and you don't have them on, you know, your personal laptop with your Netflix on and, you know, um, all your personal apps. But most of us, you know, myself included, I have one device that has, all, has everything on that you are able to mute and put out of office times on those. So there are things that the receiver can do to stop receiving those messages as well. What are some of the legal implications potentially? You know, how could this play out? Because I think there are employers that are worried about this. Should they be? Could they be facing civil or, or criminal uh, charges from these laws? It's very early days in terms of, of Australia. So I know what 
what has been proposed is that if an employee is receiving non-urgent emails and messages, phone calls out of hours on a regular basis, they can report that to Fair Work Commission. Mm. The Fair Work Commission can uh, issue a stop order, similar to what happens with you know workplace bullying or harassment. And, um, and then if it continues after that, that can result in a fine for the boss. Well, we have a lawyer on a little later in the program, so we can pull that apart with him as well. John, always good to speak with you. Thanks so much. My pleasure. See, uh, John Hopkins, the Associate Professor of Management at Swinburne University. This shouldn't just be on employers, but also employees. You have to respect people's sleep. Don't text your manager at 3am to let them know you can't start work at 7, maybe. Elsie's in Berwick. Morning, Elsie. Yes, good morning. Look, my memory's a bit fuzzy on this matter, so I looked it up on Google and eight hours a day was established in the late 1800s. And to me, there's no question. Eight hours a day is eight hours a day. I think, isn't Moomba a celebration of Labor Day? Yes. Um, we'll be sending kids up chimneys soon. <laughs> <laughs> I always find it funny that we have a day to celebrate work as well, but I think that the whole, what is it, eight hours work, eight hours rest, eight hours play, whatever, however the, whatever the structure was, the reality of that is long gone. But I can remember just in the little suburb where I live, I went to go to the chemist when I first moved there. I went to go to the chemist on a Sunday. And because it's a small owner operator, it's not a big chain, it was shut. And I was like, what? What? How is a chemist shut on a Sunday? I was shocked. But now I'm used to it, right? And it sort of, I actually quite liked it. It reminded me of the old days, you know, growing up where things were shut on a Sunday. I live in the country. It's uh, it's shut on a Sunday. And And after three on a Saturday, you got to get to the chemist before two. Uh, you, you do get used to it. But, you know, the, the do we still have an eight-hour kind of rhythm to our lives? You know, the, the school system is still set up as if there's one parent who doesn't work and can pick the kid up at three o'clock School easily. holidays. School I'm, holidays. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff, I think, needs to be reviewed, that we do live in a society where both people generally have to work in a household and do they work nine to five? Rochelle Hunt and Kirsten Duprose with you as we look at the right to disconnect. Is it something that you could ever imagine happening in your working life? This, it says, I had this conversation often with my colleagues. Is there a difference between receiving emails versus texts out of hours? I'd argue yes. Emails, okay, but texts, less so. And a lot of it, Kirsten Dipros, does depend on the industry, the profession, the job that you have. The world of farming and the world of agriculture, you are dictated by weather, animals, you name it. It's not necessarily a boss that's telling you the hours that you're working. Well, that's right. And we, you know, finished harvest a a few weeks ago and say a day like today, so I'm in the west of the state where it's total fire ban. If this was harvest, it's tools down, can't do anything. And so, you know, you have the day off. I mean, it when you go to the pool and have a good time. But the moment that the weather changes and it's okay to work again, you work and you, you work until you can't, until it's dark or even into the night. So how do you manage things like that? And uh, Tony York is with us. He's the chairman of the National Farmers Federation 
Workforce Committee and uh, a farmer himself. Hi, Tony. Uh, morning. Yeah, how are you going? Good, thanks. When you heard these laws being discussed, you know, just late last week, what was your initial reaction? Uh, well, probably, um, is this really necessary? I mean, there may have been some examples of of uh, overuse of um, people um, chasing their employees, for example. But as was just discussed, farms, farms don't stop at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon. There's always issues all the time and we need to have um, the ability to be able to use the resources, the employees that we have to, to stop the gaps. So um, I just think we have to be reasonable with this kind of legislation going mm. through. We have to um, recognise that some industries like agriculture will still need to be communicating with their staff and we probably just got to be better organised at you know, rostering staff um, and rostering a communication system after hours that can manage all the issues that do come up during, um, during those periods of time when people are hoping they're having the time off. I remember when I became friends with someone in sort of probably early high school who was a dairy farmer and going and, and staying at their place and realizing, yeah. all right, I was like, oh my God, this house is never shuts down. Right, the That's house right. is never quiet. And similarly, I was friends with a, a woman, a girl, a young girl at the time, whose dad and whose mum ran a, a trucking company all throughout regional Vic. And that house, I'm telling you, that, those kitchen lights n- never went off. That there was someone in that. <laughs> kitchen making a cup of tea making a coffee eating a random meal at a random time of the day 24 7 and it's fascinating to spend time in those homes because it actually changes everybody's life right it changes but at the same time it sort of gave a nice energy to those homes what's reasonable because that word is used a lot tony how do you define reasonable well i i I think you're right i mean what what's reasonable and um, your your scenario um, on the dairy farm is just a day-to-day environment. Um, throw in a, an emergency or some sort of crisis and so on, and there's an even another level of engaged activity. Um, look, if, you've, if you're running a business and you're employing people, you've already got a process that, in theory, is reasonable, and um, when people are working for you, they have to recognise that they're going to be on call sometimes so it's it's a matter of communication but i know in my own um experience we employ about five or six people out in the wheat belt in western australia and things things go wrong and and you've got to call on people um most unexpectedly and as long as you're reasonable about how they address the issues and and help out when needed you can get by so i do think it's probably just we have to be better organised and better understood between um, uh, the operation of the organisation. People will need to continue to be on call. That's that's just the reality of these businesses. Do you think farmers and the whole agricultural industry are sort of under pressure at the moment for that professionalisation of, of having to meet these codes or these laws a little bit more? Like... 
obviously it's one thing for a an owner operator to go and work whatever hours they like but when you're employing someone mm. it's different right well there's it a does- message here from Megan in Q it says farmers are their own managers so it's hardly relevant to this not conversation not at all farmers employ people it's different if yeah if you want to work you know 12 hours a day and you own the operation then you know that's that's your deal, and a lot of farms operate that way. But a, a lot of people employ people as well, Tony. Uh, that's right, and I mean that thing's not going away. I mean, farmers—it's a whole cross section of different businesses. Some owner-operated, and some that are very substantial and very large, and employ um, a, a large number of people. So it's a whole range of circumstances. Um, uh, and I, I, I would say, um, sorry, I've lost a train of my yeah. thought. That's I, no, I think it's. I think you've hit so many good things. And the fact is, is that it's not just you and a small farmer operation and an owner operator. You employ a lot of people. And again, oh. like every other industry and profession, we've had to look at what's reasonable. Tony, we know how busy you are, especially if you're in the world of dairy, then this is probably your one little time you can have off. So thank you so much. We appreciate your time. That's okay. So I'm not a, I'm not a dairy farmer. I'm a grain farmer. But what, no, what I wanted was to say was the complications of industrial relations are an yeah. ongoing issue that farmers have. Um, and they do see that what's been going on with some of the um, industrial reform legislation that's going on in Canberra at the moment is just further unnecessarily complicating a lot of that red tape, which is for a small any small business, this is an extra burden. Thank T- you. Good on you, Tony. Tony York, the chairman of the National Farmers Federation Workforce Committee. This, hey guys, what about high school teachers when students are emailing them over the weekend with questions about work, especially our senior students? Things that will need to be worked through. That's from Steve. And others talking about when you work in different locations. This, I had a boss who was located in Perth, me in Melbourne. I started with a very solid day at 8.30 Victorian time, but she would often call me at 7pm when she was just, when I was just sitting down to my meal but she expected me to be available sometimes i had an hour and a half telephone conference or zoom meetings when i was made redundant last year imagine how she felt knowing that this was all going to happen but this idea that if you're working in different time zones you probably know that up front right yeah i mean poor people in west australia get it all the time from us in the east to sit on our high horse and just expect you to be there at 5am but a lot of companies are global and woodside actually sort of came out against this and said what do we do our a lot of our employees are overseas and are happy to work different times and look that's the conversation i would imagine if you're working at woodside you'd be getting decent pay and and compensation for it i would be hoping so but a lot of companies are increasingly global and so time zones mm. are another factor. This it simply says, what is wrong with people? Turn your phone off at night and while you're sleeping. Likewise, when you knock off. I don't agree with criminalising emails or texting. That's from Annie in Bayswater. What does it mean to disconnect? Working Michelle Hunt here with you. I'm Melbourne Kirsten Diprose joining you from ABC Ballarat. We're talking about the right to disconnect. Lots of people getting upset with us on tech saying, oh, come on, this is a city law. Others saying, these are just stupid. Why are you even discussing this? This is ridiculous. The laws would be aimed at businesses and companies in the city areas. I don't know if I agree with that. I think a lot of what I've discovered today is that it can impact everyone, no matter how small or large the company is 
is that you work with, whether it's a, you're a sole trader, whether you've got one business partner, whether you live in the city or if you live in the regions, it all comes down to this statement of, well, what is reasonable and what is a, a reasonable expectation and what is a reasonable time for you to be contacted and when is it reasonable for you to be contacted. Dr Libby Sanders, an assistant professor of organisational behaviour at Bond University. She's also the founder and director of the Future of Work Project. The word reasonable is key in all of this conversation around the right to disconnect. But if you understand what's reasonable, then you're probably not doing the wrong thing, I would think, Libby. Look, it's very difficult because we know that around 79% of Australian workers have worked outside of their schedule hours, according to a report from the Australia Institute. And that was, in fact, up to six weeks for a lot of people of unpaid overtime. So when we consider that, you know, technology has crept into our home, you would hope that people know it's reasonable, but increasingly it's just creeping more and more into our life. Libby, if there were, you know, laws like this in place, how do you think some of the organisations would actually behave in reality, particularly those where employees have to work outside hours all the time because of the nature of the work? You know, I worked in news for a long time and uh, news happens when it happens, right? <laughs> like, it's pretty hard to, to predict. Absolutely. And I think a key driver in this is this idea of autonomy and what has been agreed in terms of the role, because we know that autonomy is a huge driver of satisfaction and also commitment to the employer. People want to have flexibility. I work flexible hours, so I have children, so I might be emailing early in the morning at late at night, but that is my choice. And I think this is a key difference. Whereas if you've got, no one's going to get upset with the occasional email or call or expectation, but if you do have a manager or a job where it's persistent, it is, you know, every night of the week, over time, we know that has very detrimental effects on employees' mental and physical health and on the rest of their lives. And so I don't think it's mm. designed to take away this ability for employees and employers to agree what is, you know, right for them and what works well for, for the business as well but it is to hopefully catch those cases where you know and the test is unreasonable and you know it, it goes on over a long period of time so that's the tricky bit to manage though as you and your callers have been saying. Well, that's right and it is tricky and part of me goes how on earth would you even manage this and I can be a bit cynical about it but then at the same time we are looking at a society I don't think I've ever lived through or witnessed a, a moment in my life where no matter who you speak to and you say, how are you going, where the answer isn't, oh, my God, I'm just exhausted all the time. I don't know what it is. People are burnt out or burning out. And I wonder, and we can't keep saying, oh, that's a hangover from COVID. I don't think it's that <laughs> anymore. I think it's we are just switched on 24-7. So is it important, no matter what happens if, with this legislation and how it looks in its final stages, is it really important for us to at least be having this conversation and recognising that we are we can't necessarily all keep going at the rate that we're going at? 
Absolutely. Australia is in the bottom third of OECD countries in terms of working long hours. Australians do work very long hours. And there are around 16 other countries that have similar policies to this legislation in place, starting with France in uh, 2017. So, you know, you're right, we're not working less, we're working more. A lot of businesses continue to be understaffed due to the inability to find talent or people, you know, switching jobs. Uh, and so, you know, it's not a problem that's going away. People will talk about the fact that they are doing more than one person's job. So it, it is a huge issue. And the cost for the economy and for society in terms of burnout, as you said, mental health issues, physical health issues from work, as well as the spillover effects into our family and our life, are, you know, extremely significant. And so we do need to be talking much mm. more about this. Dr Libby Sander is with us, Assistant Professor of Organisational Behaviour at Bond University. What about culture? You mentioned France and these laws coming in there. It's not so much of a leap, I would think, in France, where they very much have that culture of working mm. Sometimes not even nine, more like ten, <laughs> ten to four. Whereas Australia, there's cultures that have siestas in the middle of their day. You know, yeah. So for for us to sort of make this leap, is it going to be bigger? And from an organisational point of view, what could be done at at that level? Do you think, Libby? I think you're right. It is a cultural thing. And, you know, despite being, uh, you know, a nation where we love to be outside, we love the lifestyle we have here. If we look at these hours in terms of how many, uh, how much overtime people are doing and they're not really getting to enjoy that very much or not as much as they perhaps would like to. And so this is an important conversation because, you know, the longer hours we work, we're at an increased risk of things like heart disease, stroke and other serious health issues. And that's not a significant number of extra hours a week. Uh, and so we need to look at, well, how are we structuring business? How are we structuring roles? If we have this expectation that people are going to be working 12 hours a day, you know, years ago we had Marissa Samaya at Yahoo who was calling you know Zoom meetings that was the middle of the night for some people in Europe or Asia and they were just expected to attend it was a very toxic work culture that's not going to be sustainable because mm. one people will burn out or they will go and work for someone where there is a more reasonable expectation so you know culturally we shouldn't be designing work that is requiring people to work six weeks of unpaid overtime every year which is what the Australia Institute report found. So fascinating. Libby, thank you so much. It's always great to speak with you. Likewise, thank you. Dr Libby Sander, Assistant Professor of Organisational Behaviour at Bond University. She's also the founder and director of the Future of Work Project. When we spoke to Brett Worthington at the top of the hour, Kirsten, you were talking about you know, it's been labelled by some in our political sphere as the war on the weekend. And lots of texts coming in saying, you know, how did we get to this, right, where we're just on all the time? There's one here that says we live in a society drenched in overwork, unpaid overtime, endless hours to shop, weekends have been destroyed as a result of it and I even know myself once it gets to the weekend if we haven't organized stuff I start to get anxious and stressed about well what are we going to do you know we've got to keep ourselves busy and the days of just saying well let's just bum around the house or let's just <laughs> you know t take things slowly or well you're just all on and so busy all the time and even when you do just bum around the house you feel a bit guilty or you feel like you haven't achieved yeah. anything. And Rest is productive too. That's what I tell myself because <laughs> I'm a workaholic. But rest is productive too in that you need that physical and mental break to be able to reset. And But that 
also comes to not checking your work email or seeing that email from your boss or that message. Get it somewhere where you can't see it because there's nothing worse than seeing a big problem or a big project that, yes, you're not tackling till Monday, but you're going to think about it all weekend because you've seen it and you just need that mental break. So legally, where do we stand on all this and what will the reality be? Mark Stanarevic is a lawyer with Matrix Legal. Mark, we've got a, a few people, including Stephen Sandringham, who we'll get to in just a tick, that are saying, well, legally, where... Where do we stand on all of this? What's the reality of it? Can you see people actually being legally um, held to account on any of these rights to disconnect? And that's a very good question. I mean, this recent bill, um, the Closing Loopholes Number 2 bill, makes significant reforms to the Fair Work Act of 2009. Essentially, it introduces this sponsored statutory demand right to disconnect outside of work hours. Um, It's essentially a landmark change and workers have the right to switch off after hours. And now with these laws, unreasonable contact from employees outside of workers' designated hours fails, falls under a very clear legal boundary. Workers have the right to ignore excessive emails, calls or messages without fear of reprisal. Now, typically, um, as the bill's, bill has been drafted, um, it's between the parties to try and resolve this on workplace level. But if this does not resolve within the workplace level, they can apply to fair work and they can get a stop order in relation to this and there can be penalties imposed on the employer. So it really depends upon how reasonable will the parties be in respect of negotiating and coming up with these boundaries. I think it's going to be a dynamic process at first rather than very clear-cut mm. boundaries depending upon the actual type of work they're involved with. Steve, uh, stay with us. Sorry, I'm uh, already Mark, I should say. Stay with us. Steve is in Sandringham. Steve, what did you want to say? Good morning. I'm just wondering whether or not there there are likely to be some surprise results of this change to the law for many. And I'm thinking, uh, and I'm not a lawyer, but listening to your previous speaker, he'll probably be able to comment on this. I'm assuming that it will, it will uh, provide opportunities for people to uh, claim adverse action has been taken against them if, they, if their right to disconnect is not respected to their satisfaction. And that then creates an, an, a, a reverse onus of proof on the employer to defend itself against uh, an adverse action claim. And it also is exempt from some other provisions of the Fair Work Act, most notably uh, mm. the salary cap on uh, unfair dismissal claims. So if you're looking for a, uh, for a remedy, uh, this might be one that uh, uh, becomes very useful to, uh, to those defending employees who feel they've been harshly treated. Yeah. Mark, I mean, a lot of people are saying, look, a lot of these laws are already in place, you know, whether it be through fair work. What do you have to say to what Stephen raised? Well, Stephen raises some very good points in terms of adverse action. And what we say is typically it's um, going to be enshrined more as a general protection under the Fair Work Act. And it's a statutory right across the board to employees. At the same time, um, Nothing like this has been legislated to date, and it is landmark. It is obviously groundbreaking in that respect. Um, but what, what the practicalities have to be observed as well. What, what some employers might do is um, provide extra payments, for example, if 
if, if employees need to work mm. overtime, be contacted outside, outside of hours. But there is that reasonable, reasonableness provision as well. For example, depending upon the work you do, if you're doing an overtime shift, is it unreasonable for your employee to actually go and check up on you? So there's all these characterisations in terms of how it will be implemented. Yeah, here's that word reasonable again <laughs> that comes in Correct. on so many. And that's where things will, uh, <laughs> yeah. there will be some case law on this, I imagine. And everyone oh. has a different idea of what's reasonable, right? So I wonder whether, Mark, contracts need to be more explicit, even if it says contacted, you know, for a reasonable X amount of time or whatever. Like, do, do we need definitions of what reasonable is within a contract? That's what lawyers do. It wouldn't do. hurt, to, it, it wouldn't hurt to protect the employee and employee. <laughs> I don't think it, it would hurt, to be honest. Yeah. So um, and provide very clear boundaries. Or whatever. Clear boundaries, yeah, of what's but reasonable. Then, then you can tie yourself in knots there too, you know, because uh, yeah, X amount, is it X amount of hours per week over time or, uh, you know, per month? It really depends on the industry. You know, we and that's exactly dairy, right. And, and the numbers, the hours can really fluctuate a lot over a month. You really wouldn't want to measure it over a week, for instance. Well, the best way to prevent any futures, future um, conflict is to, have very clear boundaries in writing between the employee and employee. I can, and I can see that working. And it will be industry specific and job specific. Mm. Oh, this is why we knew it was a can of worms. Mark, always good to get your perspective. Thank you. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. Mark Stanarevic, he is a lawyer with Matrix, Matrix Legal. This is probably my favourite text of the day and I feel like I need a little sticker that goes on my car or my fridge that says this. It says, the best thing we ever did was to adopt Spud the Greyhound. He just lies around all day and we say, be more like Spud. We are happier and more productive when we need to be. That idea of just being more like Spud. Alex is in Reservoir. Hey, Alex. Hi. Um, look, I just wanted to say, like, all these legal avenues and these lawyers and all the rest of it and the work safe and the commission, and at the end of the day, when you're working in an industry like in food service and you've got to see X amount of chefs in the day, you've got to do quotes for them. Some of these quotes are item by item and they could be eight or nine or ten pages long. You haven't got time to do mm. it all in 40, in 40 hours. So you're doing work early in the morning before you leave to go and see your customers. Alex just raises a lot of what we've been talking about today, Kirsten Diprose, is that it depends on where you work, depends on the kind of job that you do. Then you've got the bigger issue of changing culture and cultural habits. But out of everything today... I kind of really, maybe I'm just old, but I sort of just really, I do miss the weekends just being how they once were, where they were slower and shops shut and you didn't, you know, you ate whatever was just in the fridge. You, like you, you didn't have to go to the supermarket. You just got by and it was great. I think the world has changed and I think if you want that life, Rochelle, then it's a conscious choice, You right? have to do it, right. So you stop just, whinging about and just do it, Rish. Be more like Spud. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like the these conveniences or so-called of life have made us live in a different way. Yes. And either you roll with that or you 
be more like Spud. You know, I don't have some of those conveniences. You know, I do often have to eat just what's in the fridge because it's a, a pain for me to go to the, mm. the grocery store. So I have some of those things that force me to relax on the weekend. Uh, but it's a conscious choice. Kirsten Dipros, as always, thank you. Don't forget, the Conversation Hour is also a podcast.